Childish Gambino video, This is America. People are going nuts over this damn thing. Um, So, can you give us a description of what what this video is all about? So, Childish Gambino's latest video, it it starts out, and it's it's seemingly deceptively really simple. He is in a big white warehouse, and it's just him, shirtless, some pants on, dancing around and moving throughout these different scenes and vignettes throughout this warehouse. Each one really touches upon either a current or a, a historical or political um, black event, um, either throughout our history or currently. Um, we start out with a man playing a guitar. Um, Gambino's kind of just dancing around. You wonder what's happening. And then all of a sudden, he pulls out a gun, shoots the man in the back of the head. He falls off the chair. And as he's going through these different parts of the warehouse, he's playing out these different um, scenes. We have the choir, which many people believe represents the nine uh, people shot in the church. Um, He goes, there are um, these old cars that are reminiscent of Philando Castle when he got pulled over. Um, So... Even though the video seems very simple, very minimal on its sort of um, base level, it, it really has a lot of symbolism and imagery that really, really cuts deep. And, and it seems like almost every part references something. Okay. So with that being said, what were some of the other interpretations that you've heard people discuss or talk about with this video? One that really stood out to me right off the bat was the dancing. When you kind of juxtapose the heavy lyrics and really what's happening in the video with all the dancing, um, with the overly expressive sort of coonery um, facial expressions that Gambino uses, like what what is that doing to the serious tone? Of, of the lyrics and everything else that's going around in the video. And that was something that was really interesting to me, the different theories that people had about why that dancing and that distraction from what else was happening 
um, was such an important part of the music video. You know, I thought a lot about the dancing and I saw that imagery of like the Zip Coon looking sharp, doing his dance and just smiling. And within the context of the song, I feel as though some of that imagery is kind of projection and maybe that is what makes the video great. But a lot of it to me was as if, all right, we're just going to keep on dancing because we're going to be suffering anyway. So just kind of keep on dancing. But it's also an uncomfortable kind of thing because there are these items in this violence that gets in our way of just even keep on dancing. I don't know. What's your thought about that? I do like that. And that's definitely one of the, the idea camps that I had seen. Um, and I like what you added to it too. When you said, you know, they're moving through this warehouse and trying to dance, but all these other scenes of violence are sort of getting in their way and they can't just you know, full out expressly dance through the warehouse. There's all these obstacles in their way. And I also heard um, a lot of people saying that, you know, this, the, the dancing is such a part of black culture, but it's also something that um, those outside of black culture, it's sort of like all they see of, of black culture or it's a, it's a distraction from what's really happening. All the serious stuff is happening, but you just want to dance and party still. Yeah. It's kind of like, it almost like something that reinforces the idea of like, okay, football players should just play football and, and shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. You don't dance have nothing else to, Yeah. You don't have anything else special to add at this moment. I don't want to hear it because it's not important or relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I like the more positive spin on things. You know, like no matter everything that happens or no matter what's getting thrown in our way, we are still going to dance. We're going to create. We're going to be inventive. We're going to be expressive, even when all of this chaos around us is unfolding. Yeah, kind of reminds me of this James Baldwin essay where it talks about the tension between black and white people. And the one thing that black people really want, it isn't about reparations or it isn't about being loved by white people, but it's just people getting out of their way so that they're able to achieve and live a full life as people would want to live. Um. But, again, I guess I always go back to the idea when I watch this video, there's a lot of projection that we we make with it. So I have this question for you. I've heard somebody compare Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, to Kanye West in the recent kind of Kanye West meltdown. And... It's almost as saying that now, there's almost a critique that this video isn't radical enough and it's just kind of occupying this neoliberal space that talks about tragedy, but yet doesn't offer a solution 
or a larger critique a la Tallahassee Coates. What do you think about that? You know, I've heard the same thing I would say. I've heard about 70% positive reaction to the video and, you know, of course, obligatory. Well, Gambino's doing what Kanye wishes he was doing. And um, side note, have you heard the, the prestige conspiracy theory surrounding this latest meltdown from Kanye West? No, no. What? Tell me. Oh, it's very interesting. Um, basically, um, it's he's supposed to be going through this Kaufman-esque um, alter reality sort of flip the script um, performance art with this latest meltdown, and they pull in um, some other players, some artists. Um, you're talking about uh -huh. oh, uh, David Hammond and, I mean, they're pulling just, I mean, some obscure shit out of nowhere and piecing it together into this this uh, prestige conspiracy theory, which I suggested. There was a, um, a, a Twitter thread that I went through I'll have to send your way. It's very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I would love it if that were, were the truth. But oh. as far as this Gambino video goes... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've heard a lot of a, a lot of people talking about how this is this is murder porn, this is horror porn. We've been through this. We know that this is what's happening. Um, where's a solution? But I think that too often we look to people, singular people, to create these solutions, and especially in art and entertainment. You know, art I think is an imitation, but it's not necessarily there to solve any sort of problem. I think that's where collective um, action, things, that's where the actual change is made, whether, you know, art can definitely spur a movement, but I don't think it should be responsible for, um, you know, necessarily bringing about a revolution or being the, you know, the, the, the back on where the, the revolution comes. Yeah, that's really insightful. And I, I agree with you on that because... Yeah, just to kind of reiterate what you said there is, all right, this video is a reflection of what's going on. And what's going on in art, it isn't perfect. It isn't this, you know, well thought out ideology. It isn't, um, it isn't all the time pleasant. And the revolution is not going to be fought about making a music video and everybody all of a sudden gets woke and they're going to change the world. No, we got to do that as activists and we got to do that collectively. And it's not a distraction, but I think where people are looking for their praxis out of a music video, they probably need to maybe hit some books. Yes, attend a lecture. The catalyst, you know, could be the catalyst, but I wouldn't expect it to be responsible for, you know, an entire world global paradigm shift. It would be it would be an interesting world if it was the case. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to live in that world thus far. <laughs> I'll live in a music video as long as it's a hype Williams music video. Oh, yeah, with the fisheye lenses and stuff? <laughs> yes, I will, 
I will join that reality. Yeah, that's a reality I look forward to. Yeah, and apparently that's what it's going to be like under full communism. <laughs> All right, Sierra. Well, thank you for your time. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks so much, Brandon. I look forward to doing this again. No problem. Anytime. Hot takes. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping now. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. I got to carry them. All right. Here at the Movement of Color podcast, we believe in education. And not only just education about like books and shit, but in order to have a healthy movement, you also have to know what to do and what not to do. And we're going to have a discussion of the propaganda of the deed. So, full disclosure, we don't condone blowing up shit and political assassinations. That's just not our thing. But I think because this has been a part of the left's history, we need to discuss it. So Byron Lopez and myself take a little bit of time to discuss the propaganda of the deed. Byron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and you? I am fantastic. So today, what are we talking about? We are talking about the propaganda of the deed. That sounds interesting. Yes, it, it's, it very much is. It's uh, just as a quick definition of what it is. It is the a a certain type of praxis of uh, of like ideological action, uh, mostly used by anarchists in the from the mid eighteen hundreds up to the early nineteen hundreds. Uh, that essentially surmounts to uh, do action now, uh, kill people. Uh, bomb things, do anything you can to kind of spur up the uh, the spirit of revolt uh, within the people and have them overthrow capitalism and the state. Wow, that's really deep and re- really dark. Yeah, it, it is, dude. <laughs> so where did this idea come from? How did it emerge? Uh, so it mainly came from the Millbrow anarchists um, who felt this need to do something here and now that we can't wait anymore. We can't wait for these mass uh, anarchists or socialist organizations to prop up uh, over decades that we need to do this here and now. So they came up with the idea of, okay, let's let's. Uh, how about if we kill the prime minister or kill uh, this the, a monarch or start blowing up police stations? Maybe that will like spur up the uh, the kind of uh, repressed uh, like. Uh, you know, and they, they use this term a lot, spirit of revolt uh, within the working class. And they'll all rise up after you kill, like, I don't know, Henry Clay F- uh, Frick or you kill or like you, you murder the prime, Min- uh, the prime minister of Spain or something. OK, well, I understand some of these people on, on paper you would think might deserve to be killed. But when did this all start? Uh, it really started it, – it's hard to kind of say because anarchists have been 
organizing for like a very long ever since you know the kind of middle of the 1830s uh, 1840s um and it's kind of always been there because of just a very kind of illegalist like tendency of just like laws and rules or opinions um kind of tendency that's always pervaded anarchism uh so it's 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 hard to say like when specifically it started it it most likely the the more obvious kind of most obvious start that people generally go towards is uh usually in the latin countries Mm -hmm. um so like france uh italy spain uh where they just started doing bombings all the time uh you know where the anarchist started being characterized not as someone who wants to abolish the state and capitalism and have these massive organizations, but instead is just like lone wolf bombers with those little spherical bombs that, you know, and like a twirly mustache and those weird coats. Ah, yes. I love the the spherical bombs and the twirly mustaches. <laughs> it's like the perpetual villain. Exactly. That's, that's where it came from. Okay. <laughs> nice. So, Snidely Whiplash was probably an anarchist. I get that now. What was one early event? It's like the, one of the first ones would probably be uh, the attempted assassination of Tsar Alexander II in, like, 1866. <laughs> that, that's usually the most, the, the first big um, action that, uh, propag- the first time propaganda deed really became big. Um, mainly because it was um, an anarchist. I think his name was Dmitry. Dmitry Karakozov, I think. Um, he attempted to assassinate Alexander II, um, but kind of Alexander II was kind of like leaving. I was already on his way out uh, back home, so mm-hmm. Dmitry like was running towards him, trying to like throw throw a bomb under his carriage and like blow him up. Uh, but he sat, but he ended up uh, failing and getting killed. Uh-huh. So that, that's the first, one of the first big ones. Okay. So as we progress, what were some of the American examples? So when it comes to the American examples, there's two big ones. Um, the first is Alexander Berkman's uh, attempted assassination of Henry Clay Frick. Um, he was the guy who broke, who was like the head, who like hired the Pinkertons to break the homestead strike. Um, you know, uh, Carnegie's uh, steel mills in the mid in the uh, Midwest. Yes. Um, so he tried to kill him, didn't. He went to jail. He uh, ended up just reading more and became even more steadfast anarchist. Uh, he kind of moved away from propaganda deed later on in his life, but yeah, that was a really big formulative experience for him personally. Um, and the second one was the assassination of William McKinley, I think, President William McKinley. Uh, he was assassinated. Uh, by an Italian immigrant uh, who was an anarchist who believed in propaganda of the deed. Um, And then because of him, actually, uh, Teddy Roosevelt became president. (laughs) A weird twist. Uh, If it wasn't for an anarchist uh, killing the president, uh, Teddy Roosevelt would never have been president and all these progressive reforms would have never happened. Yeah, and and also Panama would still probably be part of Colombia. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's... You'd be surprised how many historical events happened because of because of the propaganda of the deed. Yeah, you know, in that situation is kind of a mixed bag because, you know, like you mentioned, uh, progressive reforms and income tax, progressive income tax, and all these things, putting a lot of public land in commons and off, you know, limits from people who are trying to exploit and rape it. But yet, 
Teddy was also like super militaristic, so you know, yeah, maybe it's a win. Interesting. So that's fun. So that gets us into like the 1900s. How did that affect anarchist um, PR relations, if you will? Uh, it wasn't good. Uh, if anything, it's uh, it kind of just gave even more fuel for the fire of just the state's hatred uh, uh, of like the of Europe and the West's and you know, the whole world's um, anyone with power um, hatred of anarchism. Because they knew that they could be next, so they even they clamped down even more. Mm-hmm. Also, it very much isolated um, anarchists from the working class because you're so busy uh, doing bombings, uh, doing assassinations. So you have to do this all usually, almost always in secret, um, and you not going out and like building up your local uh, anarcho syndicalist trade unions, or you're not going out and you know actually uh, fermenting revolution um, in the streets, and instead you're just kind of doing lone wolf attacks. Um, and also, um, in a weird twist of irony, um, the predecessor to Interpol actually uh, was created specifically to target anarchists um, in the European continent. So, like, yeah. So, so you know, thank anarchists uh, for Interpol by accident, you know. Um, and, of course, there's always been critiques of the propaganda of the deed. Um, Enrico Malatesta, kind of the predominant Italian anarchist, uh, was very much against this. Um uh, Nestor Macno was against propaganda of the D because he thought it was, you know, violence before the revolution even started. So like, why bother? You're not, you're not, you're only isolating yourself the work, from the working class. A lot of the preeminent, preeminent anarchists really um, very much disagreed with this. And the propaganda of the D anarchists have always been a very small minority, but they're a very big one because they have killed a lot of people. <laughs> so how did this thing start tapering down? Because I don't hear a lot of you know, propaganda of the deed being exposed by anarchists today. So when did the change start to happen where this was a bad well, idea? Use the, the date that most people look at as like the turning point would be the 19, uh, the, at the end of world war one, um, Europe had kind of, it, it was the roaring twenties. Things were going actually fairly well. Um, but also, uh, so it, it really is twofold. One where like the world was getting more organized in the fact that the police were far more better trained, they had better equipment, um, they were getting better organized, they had better um, training, they were able to kind of clamp down on anarchists, um, socialists, and communists a lot better. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, there's that point where the people who are doing propaganda of the deed are getting arrested a lot quicker before they're able to do anything. But also, on the second hand, it, it, the very much the anarchists um, after World War One and the, the absolute uh, kind of uh, total loss for anarchism. You know, Nestor Makhno uh, and the Black Army was defeated in Ukraine. Um, syndicalism was essentially dead um, in France. Um, communism was taking over ideologically of the, on the left. Uh, so they kind of had to do this real deep in- introspection where they had to look into themselves and ask, okay, what worked, what didn't work? And one of the things that very much did not work was propaganda of the deed. And ever since then, it's been very much the most minor 
a form of praxis in anarchism today. Like you might see one or two people doing it, like um, like a few anarchists in Greece, like real hardcore people. Um, but for the most part, it's essentially dead. Wow, that's crazy. Um, here's a fun fact. One of my best friends, his um, great-grandfather was a victim of the propaganda of the deeds in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. He was um, blown to pieces by a bomb. It was a time bomb, and they set it in a police department. Yeah, that, 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 those were usually targets uh, for, for that. And as much as, um, you know, I understand police are problematic, blowing them up and expecting people to rally around you, that's, that's a really, that's a tough stretch of the imagination to believe that could happen, right? Yeah, it's, it's, that's something like modern anarchists have kind of looked at and seen like, yeah, that, that probably wasn't a good idea. I mean, like, fuck the police and all that, but like, Blowing a police station, especially because they're in very public, like usually in the downtown areas um, where a lot of people are, it's very easy for um, non-police people to just get caught in the crossfire, like it happened with uh, your friend's uh, great grandparent. Well, he was he was a cop, so oh shit, okay. So he was the, you know, they were literally saying fuck you to him. So it's for the most part did practice in anarchist circles now. But do you in anarchist circles? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so where else do you think um, this idea arises again, or we see it at? Well, we saw it come back in the late '60s, early '70s, um, when the new left would kind of hit a dead end um, because of its total unwillingness to really um, go further. Um, so you had groups like you know the Weather Underground, who were a bunch of you know, college age leftists who were like, okay, we are in the heart of imperialism, uh, the heart of the capitalist empire. We need to do something here and now. Very much the same ideas that propped up independently in anarchists um, during the mid 1800s. Um, and they created a, essentially a, a terrorist network. Um, they did like, I think, 6,000 bombings, like during that when they were like a thing. Hmm. And, um, like they actually barely took any lives. They, they like, no one really died. Um, instead, they usually did bombings in, like bathrooms of police stations. Like you had fairly, fairly small bombs. Like nowhere near the level of the anarchists who would like blow up um, mass like whole buildings, uh, but just with the amount of TNT they had. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you know, uh, propaganda of the deed is doesn't just happen just within anarchism. Uh, social like more mainstream socialists socialists are capable of it you know communists are capable of it you know stalin uh robbed banks uh in like georgia and like southern like the and like the caucus region of russia um when he was younger to fund the communist party history you know it definitely rhymes at least if it doesn't repeat it rhymes um here's an interesting question would you consider dylan roof a proponent of the propaganda of the deed and some of his other white nationalist buddies? Um, I would say yes, because what they want to do, because yeah, propaganda of the deed is not solely a socialist uh, left wing thing. The right can do it as well. Um, it's just fundamentally the idea that you have to commit violence now in order to like start up a class war, start up a race war, start up a religious war, or something like that. It's the idea that by 
committing massive amounts of violence, it would shock the system so much that, you know, everyday people would suddenly become radicalized and like join, like join you, whichever, you know, define you, uh, your side and overthrow the system you believe is oppressing you. Um, whether it's like, you know, capitalism or the States or a certain, uh, you know, minority that has no power but is perceived to be evil and controlling everything at the same time. Uh, you know, it, it, it very much is not solely within the socialist realm. So I guess the propaganda of the deed is still kind of alive and well. Yeah, it, but, it, but it very much has shifted over to the right wing uh, today. And it's, and it's getting bigger on the right wing. You're getting, very, you're getting neo-fascist groups going underground and uh, because of Antifa and just how successful Antifa has been in de-platforming them and telling you, okay, we can't be public. So we go underground, we join the military, we join the police, and we start doing like individual lone wolf terrorist attacks. And, and they're going to find out like that's not going to work at all. Um, and, I, and I very much welcome them just failing. And of course, like sadly, people are going to die. Um, I'm always against that. But like at the end of the day, once you start going propaganda of the deed, that's kind of when you like, you know, from outsiders can see, yeah, you've lost. You kind of just ran out of all other ideas there. Yeah. Byron, thank you for your time on this. No problem. come to the end of the road of another episode please remember to follow us on twitter at movement underscore color or become a contributor and become a patron of ours at patreon.com backslash movement of color thanks for spending time with us and i look forward to cooking up some more hot beef for you guys next week my name is brandon Payton.